Well, good morning, church. That is, in fact, the story that is before us this morning, Pentecost and our emergence as we are sent out by the Spirit into the world in service. Friends, my name is Andy Maddock. I'm lead pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church, and it is such a joy and a privilege to be before you, especially on this holy day in the Christian tradition when we get the chance to celebrate who we are as God's people in this place. So we're in this Family Matters series, spending some time talking about family ideology, figuring out what it means for us to be the family of Christ. And rolled into that is this holy day of Pentecost and a way for us to think about how they, as the family of faith, how they as the disciples, how they as the early church are models for us, for our families, and for our lives. And so, but I just want to give us a sense of where we've been. So on Mother's Day, we started with the idea that families shape and define us. We talked about a mothering energy that nurtures us into our identity. It helps us to know who we are and allows us to make choices about the future we are living into and how we will behave ourselves in the present. Families do that, and church as family does that as well. Last week for Music Appreciation Sunday, we talked about the idea that families celebrate together My hope is that you come from a family tradition that has special moments around holidays, Christmas, Easter, New Year's, whatever it might be, that your birthday was remembered and celebrated, that you were encouraged to do that for your siblings and for your family members and for your friends, to use family as an opportunity to celebrate, to be a people who are lifting voice in common and being a people who celebrate God's goodness together. And this week with the Pentecost story, we talk about being sent out into the world. The Spirit sends out the disciples, and so too does the Spirit send us. The imagery for family and being sent out is a simple one. Those of you with kids who've moved on to college and have not yet returned home to the economy would be called empty nesters, that you've launched your baby birds. It's a natural image of the idea that somehow those people that we've reared and raised, we've sent out into the world. There comes a point where we send forth our progeny, where we ourselves might have been sent forth into the world, so too does the church, as we mature, as we grow in our faith, send us out into the world for service and transformation. And we're going to look at how that happens in Scripture when we talk about the Pentecost story. Pentecost is one of those celebrations, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, where the disciples are gathered together in one room. They're doing that because the last 50 days have been, for lack of a better word, weird. On Easter, the one they saw upon the cross, the one they saw laid in the tomb, has now been resurrected. And over the course of the last seven weeks, has made appearances to them, has called them out to the place where it all started and met them on the Sea of Galilee and fed them a breakfast, has encouraged them to go back to Jerusalem where they were waiting and watching already to continue to long for the Spirit of God to fall upon them. Jesus has ascended into the heavens and sent them out with a message of transformation That they are going to be God's witness now. Their identity is going to shift and change. No longer are they disciple followers. They are now apostle preachers. They become the voice for Christ and the Spirit. And it requires what happens in this day. This Pentecost story. It comes from Acts chapter 2. And just a section of it, because we already had some of it in the video, reads in this way. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, 
There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these Galileans? Question mark. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's talk some Pentecost. And the confusion of the people, their anxiety about what's going on, it starts with the anxiety and the fear of the disciples. Waiting and watching. Jesus has ascended to heaven. They feel left to their own devices. They've spent the better part of the last three years watching, observing, and learning from the work of Christ. It was Jesus who fed. It was Jesus who taught. It was Jesus who healed even when they could not. He seemed for all intents and purposes with his divine capacity to be better in every aspect they were going to be called to do. And so they were anxious. Jesus was gone. What then are they meant and equipped to do? And while they are waiting in this room, there comes upon them wind and fire. The sound of a mighty wind that it rolled through the city like thunder. All were aware of it. All heard it. It was a commotion that drew people's attention. And then in that upper room where the men were waiting, there appeared above their heads these split tongues of fire, a symbol of the Spirit. It's why I am decked out in my finest red today, a symbol of Pentecost. The band said, we didn't wear a lot of red. Are you worried about that? I said, friends, I have enough red for everybody. <laughs> this symbol of fire as spirit, giving them a dynamos, or the Greek word for power, like dynamite. And that power moves them out of their room. It enables them, it equips them to speak in other languages. Now, the fascinating thing for me in this particular story is that how they speak and the languages they share in are different and unique. What Scripture doesn't say is that they all took Duolingo classes for hundreds and hundreds of days and spoke all of the languages. It's that the Spirit enabled them to speak a language that they might be understood because the, the, the God-fearing Jews, as the book says, that were surrounding them were hearing in their languages. And the list that Acts provides after that of the types of people who were hearing their common language, their home language spoken, and were impressed by the message of God is more than 11. Which means that it is not that God said, all right, Thomas, you're going to take care of the Greeks. Camille, you're going to be in charge of the Parthenians. Andy, you're going to do the Edomites. No. It is a work of the Spirit for them to be heard and for them to speak. The Spirit is on the move in this story. They are transformed. And in that transformation, they come out of the room. And as they are heard by the crowds, the crowds respond in, in confusion and, and excitement, but some doubt. Some say these people are just filled with a new wine. And one of my favorite sections in the book of Acts is Peter's first note, his first line in his sermon. You think I start my sermons in random places. Peter's first sermon starts, Men, these guys are not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Rather, they are filled with a new spirit. And his first sermon is about the work of God as expressed in the Hebrew Scriptures, 
as manifest in the person of Jesus and a bold claim that Christ was their Messiah and Lord. And the people believed. 3,000 people were baptized as a response to his sermon. So what can we learn from this story? What does it have to do with us? Well, the first thing to know is that the word used to describe the movement of the Spirit is suddenly. Suddenly there came upon them. For all the preparation, for all their wisdom, for all that they had learned and all they seen, it came as a surprise in the suddenness of the moment when the Spirit of God was at move. The movement of the Spirit in our lives can feel and often does feel like a sudden change, a shift in us, or to realize that when we have sudden moments, the Spirit can work in them all the same. That sudden moment when you realize you're pregnant, that sudden moment when you get dark news that a loved one has passed. That sudden moment where you saw the red light, but the idiot behind you did not. Sudden moments are an opportunity for the Spirit to move in and through you. Acts tells us that's the way the Spirit comes to these men who should know better, who should long for it. It is as if they should be checking their watches and train schedules and know, here comes the Spirit of God blowing through. No, they are surprised by it. The Spirit comes and they are equipped. So one of the things that we can do with that is to say, God, do you have any sudden moments for me? I don't need more struggle. I don't need more tragedy. A well-timed sneeze, bless you. But in the midst of that, in the midst of the surprise, in the midst of the suddenness, is there something, oh God, that you need to show me today, tomorrow, or in the tomorrows that follow, that it's going to be a shift in me that helps me to know who I am? Are we as a church equipped to recognize where the Spirit is on the move? To be able to know with a sense of hope and positivity that God is at work in what we are doing and what we are saying, in the songs we sing, in the stories we share, and in the service we provide the community that surrounds us. Because the Spirit is intended to give us boldness. The disciples were given boldness to go out and share the story. That boldness, that equipping, that assurance to go out is an essential part of understanding the Methodist Church. 25th of May, just this last week, is what we call Aldersgate Day. It's when John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, really kind of launched into his sense about the work of grace and the Spirit of God in his life. It says that he was down in Aldersgate Street listening to a street preacher. And you might think, oh, that had to be a pretty impressive street preacher. No, no, this guy was reading from Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. He's reading some other pastor's introductory book to a book in the Bible, but that was the suddenness. And Aldersgate is a reminder. It's that place in Methodism where we find the phrase, and his heart was strangely warmed. And as Wesley writes about that night, he talks about it being a sense of assurance a sense of deep and personal conviction that he was a sinner and that Christ had died for him and that Christ's grace was for him. And that personal ownership, that personal assurance, that personal relationship creates a boldness in him that launches this transformative ministry that some 250 years later is the Methodist Church. 
this hope and possibility that God is going to infuse us with a sense of clarity about who we are and whose we are and that that should make a difference. And sometimes when we're willing to do that, act in boldness, the world will be bewildered. I hope that in your life there are times when you tell a story about something that BUMC is doing as a part of its very nature and its wiring where people are surprised. Your church does what? Your pastor said what? You love who? That sense of bewilderment about how the Spirit is moving was as true at Pentecost all those years ago as it is in the activity of a healthy and vibrant church in this day. Because the Spirit of God promotes change. The Spirit leads to change. There's a change in the disciples, their identity. They went from listeners and watchers to doers and speakers. Peter went from a guy who was denying and trying to recover and take his foot out of his mouth for all the times he screwed up to a proclaimer of the very message of God. To be able to build a sense of relevant bridges because the Spirit equipped his sermon to be able to make deep connections between the Hebrew Scriptures and the book of Joel and the Spirit of God being poured out upon the people and the work and activity of Christ who came into his midst. Peter changed, and when the Spirit comes upon you suddenly, so too do we change. Our lives are different. There's a spring in our step, a hope and a longing that God will continue to do what we have experienced and that God will work in new ways. Because the simple truth is is that those disciples are moving in a way that equips change in the world as well. That gift of the Spirit that's given to Peter and the disciples in the upper room is not some Christmas toy that they then go hide away and play with by themselves and never share. It's given to them to go out and to change the world. And in that first sermon, the response is to that work of God, what then should we do? Be baptized. Believe, and 3,000 people come into the new church that is starting on that day. We are changed that we might go with boldness to change the world. So throughout the series, I've been talking about this idea that the church is a family of faith, that we are equipped together to be God's great family, to be a resting spot, a nest to those who feel orphaned by the world and by their experience from God or from one another. So, what can we do as the church? So, just as the Spirit of God moved into the early church in Pentecost, we get sent out from this place. We get launched from this place in the midst of our spiritual maturity, our hope, our teaching, to be a people who are here for good, to be transformers of our world. That's what Pentecost looks like for us. We are equipped to be sent out. We are blessed to be a blessing. We receive gifts that we might share with the world what the world needs. We are called and equipped to be a people who are world changers and kingdom builders. And it starts with how we speak to the world around us. How we speak to the world around us requires two things. One is knowing the world that's around us knowing what their needs are from here in our corner, in our families, in Valencia, in the Santa Clarita Valley, uh, uh, in the valleys that extend from here, in the whole of Southern California, all those with whom we share like-mindedness and those who are the stranger. How we speak 
will respond to their needs, will allow them to say, I didn't know that you understood me. And now I have a language to understand you, to find ways as the church to allow people to say, I didn't know you knew my struggle. I didn't know this was a place where it was okay to be imperfect. I didn't know this was a place where I would be loved for who I am. I didn't know that until you said it. Because we're equipped to speak by the Spirit's good work. And in the same way that the Spirit is equipping us with a story to tell, so too is the Spirit kind of working on the world as to how we are heard. To be transformative. And you don't have to worry about having the perfect words to tell God's story. What you need to have is a right relationship with God. There was an initiative when I was in seminary some 4,000 years ago. The pastors in this annual conference and the Desert Southwest Annual Conference would be called and equipped to be bilingual. That in parallel with classes that we took on the Bible and theology and church management, we would take an intensive class on learning Spanish if English was our first language. That the realities of Southern California, Arizona, and Nevada were such that we would just as likely intersect with folks for whom Spanish was a primary language as we did in English. And that it would be an opportunity for us to share the gospel, to share the hope, to share the truth, to speak and to be heard and to understand, to allow them to come with our needs and not just have to throw our hands up in the air and say, I have no idea what you're saying to me, but to be present to their stories and their needs. That was a bold vision. And I'm actually sorry that it kind of fell through. Because part of the reason that it fell through is it felt like it was trying to pack too much story and word into it. I even shared that confession with my dad. I said, Dad, I, I speak some Spanish. I know how to say, I think, what I need to say, but I don't know any of the fancy church words. I don't know how to say bishop, ecclesiology, eschatology, any of those big church words that get thrown around. And he said, how often do you use those big church words in your preaching? I said, almost never. <laughs> I said, there you go. You know how to tell somebody you love them. You know how to tell somebody, God bless you. You know how to tell somebody, I'll pray for you. You know how to tell somebody, I see you're hurt. That's where the gospel is. The story comes from the heart. The words come from the heart. The words come from a God who is present in our story and equipping us to be heard in the world in transformational ways. And the Spirit is always on the move. One of my favorite images from John Wesley comes from the idea of prayer. He talked about prayer as respiration with God. Breathing with God. It was a metaphor for the idea that we would speak to God our needs, our stories, our confessions and experience, and we would listen and receive from God blessings and clarity about our lives. But it was also a vision of for how essential and how simple prayer could be. It's like breathing. Natural. In and out. Yes, we can be intentional about it, about slowing our breath about the depth of our breath. And there are times when our prayer needs to be slower and deep and intentional. But it's a natural part of our experience. We're hardwired for it. There's a part of us that's akin to God. 
and that we breathe with God in that experience. This vision of the Spirit coming like the wind at Pentecost. Don't miss the image. It is not that it came then and the church needed this giant gasp gulp of air to catch it all. This, (gasps) I got it all and I'm ready. The Spirit continues to blow. Spirit continues to move. And it's a part of our respiration with God to be a part of the breath of God and to allow our voice to speak God's truth, hope, and possibility into and on behalf of the world that surrounds us. That's how we're a family that matters. When we figure out how to breathe with God on the world's behalf, This Family Matters series has been a lot of fun, and we'll continue it through the month of June, looking at some more of these ways in which we are shaped as the family of faith and the family of God. Next Sunday will be a great one. We'll celebrate communion together, and we hope that you'll join us for that uh, as a part of our common time uh, and uh, be equipped for that. We'll celebrate our grads, which is a reminder, if you have a graduate in your house, today is our deadline to get their information in and to get us the pictures that we can do that service well. Help us with that piece. But as I look ahead, what I know is this. I won't be here a week from now. And I cover your respiration, your prayers. I'm headed out, as I shared last week, on the AIDS life cycle. This time of the morning, I will probably be about 40 miles into an 80-mile day, which is only about 80 miles of a 545-mile journey from Daly City in San Francisco to the beach at Santa Monica. Now, I know there are some of you out here in the congregation today or online going, I did not realize that this was the body of an elite athlete. (laughs) Yes. Warrior pose. I don't do this because I'm good at it. I do it because I have big dreams. I've always set some big stupid goals in front of me, whether it's doing a triathlon or half marathon or a bike ride like this to use what I can and who I am to make just a little bit of a difference in the world because I know that there are people that I ride for, that my fundraising has made a difference for, who cannot, who have lost friends and partners to AIDS and the epidemic of the 80s and 90s, who continue to need daily medicine, which gets more expensive and inaccessible over time. And so in my capacity and my elite fitness, I just keep moving one foot in front of the other in the hopes that God's going to help carry the load, that I'll be sufficient and enough. But you need to know that I covet your prayers. I want you to surround me with them in the week to come because it'll be an opportunity. I fly out on Friday, Sunday morning next week. I start my ride. I'll be back to celebrate with you in two weeks uh, on June 11th and to tell some of the stories of that experience. But it is a powerful opportunity, and I want you to be praying for me because Lord knows I'll be praying for you while I'm out there and because you guys surround us. Because the simple truth and the simple confession of the first 11 months that we are here is that it is inescapably true that you all are family to mine. To Maddie, to Jackson, and to Camille, and to myself, you surround us with love and encouragement, hope and possibility. And we are so grateful for it. Friends, let's pray.